All right, y'all okay, Michael? <clears throat> yeah, I'm good to go. All right. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Bob Singh, president and founder of WorkBench here at USC. We're going to start off our podcast series here uh, of, our, of our COVID-19 friendly plan uh, with Michael Broughton, uh, CEO and founder of Hatch Credit. Uh, you want to say hi, Michael? Hey, how is everyone doing? Good, good, good. So happy to have you on, Matt. Uh, it's really great. Um, you're so accomplished and you're doing so many different things right now. How busy are you right now? Oh, man, I I work about 14 hours a day. But 14 hours a day, how many days a week? Uh, all seven, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, yeah, that's that's the, the startup grind, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we've all been hearing about the coronavirus, but we're not here to talk about that, right? We're here to talk about business and entrepreneurship and how students at USC and students in general can – better their lives by embracing the entrepreneurship spirit and creating companies and pursuing their passion. Right, Michael? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's kick it off with like just your background and what you're doing right now. Yeah, for sure. So I am a junior at C at USC, uh, exploring entrepreneurship and business finance. I uh launched Hatch Credit my freshman slash sophomore year, uh, where we're helping people build their credit using non-traditional data points. So this can be your Netflix, Hulu, gym membership, any recurring expense that you pay month over month. Um, it's been pretty cool, uh, the entrepreneurship journey. Uh, there's a lot to it as well, uh, as you know. Uh, but I'm definitely excited to, you know, talk more about it in my background and, you know, what I've learned during my last, like, three years in this phase. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the biggest questions we get here at Workbench from other people is how do I start? You know, like I have I have an idea mm-hmm. for a company, right? And I, I let's say for example, I go to USC. I, I I'm I'm at a college campus. How can I make my idea into a tangible company? Yeah, that's that's honestly step one. Uh, if not step zero, you know, uh people come up with these great ideas all the time and one thing that I learned is, like, a great idea is worth nothing. It's the execution that, you know, creates value. So, you know, good ideas, bad ideas, you know, it doesn't matter what the idea is. If you can't execute, then it goes nowhere. So I think I hear a lot of the same thing of how can we really get past stage one. And I, I think there's a there's a couple things to it. Uh, first is going to be, Really, what what are you surrounding yourself with and tools and resources you have around you? Uh, number two is going to be your team. And three, what is your plan? Uh, and if we want to go into all three of those, the first step on the resources around you. You know, I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship coming into college. I actually wanted to be a stockbroker uh, <laughs> and be on, the, <laughs> on Wall Street, you know, one day. And I got surrounded by a whole bunch of entrepreneurs and a whole bunch of people just trying to build startups. And it helped me leverage, you know, the resources around me to start up my own venture. Um, and, you know, really being able to realize that building a company isn't really about a good idea, but really problem solving, but something that, you know, having the right resources and network helped me to do. Uh, so once I got the idea of Hatch Credit, which it went through 14 different pivots, uh, the second step was really building a great team. And, 
yet again, SD was super useful for this, but being able to surround yourself with people who are also passionate or can see the problem that you're trying to solve, I think is super crucial before you even begin working on any idea. Um, I was able to surround myself with a great team. Uh, we have a team of eight right now, um, and we are all super passionate about helping people change their lives through their credit score. And, you know, having those resources around me, you know, when I know someone else, you know, across, you know, they may be across the U.S. right now because of COVID, but they're working 14 hours as well on the same venture. It keeps me passionate. It keeps me driving. So that's, that's honestly step two. And the final step, um, being able to actually execute, um, really comes from, I believe, knowing what you're trying to do and the timeline behind it. Uh, so... One thing that people never realize when you become an entrepreneur is that there's no start date and there's no end date and there's no like homework assignments and, you know, no one that you're looking up to to start. Uh, we entered this semester with zero dollars in the bank. We're still kind of like in the low ideation stage. But, you know, I came out and I said, hey, our company is going to start raising money and we're going to start getting a lot of money and we're going to push forward with some capital, build a big team. And nobody told me to do that. But being able to set that internal deadline, we were able to raise 460K in two months, you know. So it's been really cool to see that we could push so far just because we're setting internal deadlines. I think that's the third step. That, that's great. I mean, raising 460K in two months is absolutely absurd for a college student. That's, well, I'm, I want to just hats off to you for that. But uh-huh. what do you think? Do you think there's anything wrong with the college space right now for the entrepreneur? Do you think it's up to the entrepreneur to make all these decisions? Do you think it's, do you think the school schools in general could be doing a better job of helping their students? What do you think? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a big problem with trying to teach entrepreneurship. Like I, yes, I did have the right resources around me to learn what entrepreneurship was, but they, none, none of them told me, you know, how to build out my company. And I think something that's really prudent and problematic in the college space is that you can't teach entrepreneurship the same way you teach, like, biology or math. You know, you can't go in there and say, oh, these are the guidelines, now go do it, and copy and paste. It's like you have to learn this is the fundamentals of entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is you doing this, you doing that, you doing this. And being able to step outside of the classroom and take a personal view on how things need to be operated. Definitely, definitely. Do you think – do you think developing that problem solution mindset is something that's really critical to being kind of like self-sufficient on campus, even if even if the college can't help you out or they're not providing sufficient resources? Yes, yes, definitely. I uh, I help teach Sigma Eta Pi, which is an entrepreneurship society uh, on campus, and we spend literally three weeks talking about problem solution. And that's one thing that I believe separates entrepreneurs from, like, business people. You know, business people create companies as well. You know, being an entrepreneur doesn't mean, you know, I guess building a business doesn't qualify you as an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is a problem solver. You know, we go into the space, we see something that's wrong, and we correct it. And that's the difference between a business, you know, creating a business and being an entrepreneur. So if you're trying to, you know, create a cool idea or just grow a business, you're not an entrepreneur, and it needs to be it needs to be clear that you're not, you know. But if you're really trying to solve a problem and you see something in a space that needs to be fixed and you're creating a solution for it that people need, then you have qualified as an entrepreneur. I think 
making that distinction is so important because it changes the trajectory of honestly everything you do. That's very interesting, Michael, especially because it does break down into those two fundamental concepts of just finding a problem and creating that amazing delivery of a solution that's, that's just going to blow the customer away, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Aside from the problem, solution mindset, right? What is something that you see in business that needs to be different, right? That's something that needs to be changed tomorrow. Mm, I think, I think one thing that's really problematic besides like, you know, the personal side of it is the community side of it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Being able to have a network of people around you is not easy to acquire. You know, Um, you could be an entrepreneur starting at the age of 14, you know, or even, you know, even younger, but it's going to require you to first be in a community where you see that is a possibility. You know, it's like the first time you're introduced to math, you know, you're like six years old, and it wasn't until you were introduced to math that you knew about math. The same thing applies for entrepreneurship. You can't know how to be a problem solver until you see, you know, problem solvers solving problems. So, I think there's a lack of community in the entrepreneurship space. Like everybody's so driven and so, you know, passionate and they're pushing on their so their own ideas so much that they're not actually thinking about the other people. They're not showing what they're doing. And, you know, it's hard to connect with entrepreneurs, you know. Do you think there's a lack of empathy and compassion in the business world right now? Do you think do you think people aren't as kind as they should be to their team or anything like that? Yeah, not at all. I, I think it's so cutthroat in the U.S. Uh, how often, yeah. you know how business is done, and it's it's terrible. It, it hurts companies more than it helps. You know. Yeah, Michael, I remember when we met uh, like about a month ago. You mentioned that you were you grew up internationally, and you saw they just left the cash out in the bank, right? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Japan and Korea um, for most of my most of my you know growth stages, I would say, um, from eight years old to 17. Uh, and I guess just growing up overseas really showed me what community really is. It's so community-based, especially in Japan. Uh, I lived in uh, Okinawa. They call it Oki. Um, and they they consider themselves their own type of people. Like, they don't call themselves Japanese. They call themselves Okinawans. And there was a time, and that was the time that we talked about, where Someone just walked into a bank, they put all their money, like a whole lump sum of cash onto the desk and just put a sticky note on the top with their name on it and left. And there was no, there was no shock, you know, there was no like, what is he doing? You know, it was just like, you know, that's normal. You know, he can trust the bank. He can trust the people around him that that money's going to go into his account. And that community-based business style is what's made Japan so strong. You know, even despite being in a recession or despite having downclines, you know, Japan has been seen as like a nation that people are trying to follow just because it's so community-based. You don't see that in the U.S. You know, you can't put your money on a table, you know, in the U.S. expect <laughs> it to go into your account. So. Yeah, exactly. That's that's absolutely insane. I mean, that's exactly what we're trying to do with Workbench here at USC is we're trying to, we're trying to create more collaboration instead of more hey, like, you're doing, you're doing something similar to me, so let me just break down your house and just ruin your company, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Honestly, um, it's important. It's important, especially what you're doing at Workbench. I know, like, from our, our conversation that we had, um, you know, this, what you guys are focused on and the narrative that you're trying to bring to, you know, open entrepreneurship and let us know what's the insides and outs of the business world. 
it's important for young entrepreneurs, even experienced entrepreneurs. Right, I definitely agree. And you mentioned that uh, who you surround yourself is really important, right? So yeah. what does what does an entrepreneur do when he when they surround themselves with the wrong group? Do they just ignore it, and move on? Do they embrace it, move on? Do they just what happens? Mm. I think that's a good question. I think when you're in a situation where you realize the people around you aren't supporting you, um, and this is what's going to happen to a lot of entrepreneurs, it's not because, you know, they're against you or they, you know, don't like your idea. You know, it's happening because of the simple fact that it's hard to connect with entrepreneurs when you're not in this space. You know, I've had a lot of friends who I've told them, like, hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. You know, I'm trying to figure this out with the company, and I don't know what to do here. And they're just like, why are you putting yourself through stress that nobody's telling you to do, you know? Or, like, you know, I'm in a part, a moment where I'm, like, working, like, 14 to 16 hours a day, and they're like, why are you working so hard on this when, you know, you could go out and party and have fun, you know? And I think when you realize that you're seeing that a lot, it's, it's because you're transitioning into something that, you know, people who aren't entrepreneurs aren't going to understand. And, and when you, when you mention that, when you say, you know, you can surround yourself with the wrong people, it's, it's honestly like not surrounding yourself with the wrong people. You're surrounding yourself with people who just don't understand. And that can be your closest friends, you know? So, I mean, like when me and you talk, you know, when we had our conversation beforehand, we could correlate on so many things, you know, they were, we're in two different spaces, but we can correlate so much on what we're working on, the synergy, the problems that we have. And that's because we're both entrepreneurs. So I think finding that network is so crucial, you know, to being a founder. Yeah, definitely. I think having a strong team and creating those, those very rigid values are just so critical to your success. That's a really good point that you're making. Um, yeah. I mean, how, how can businesses and just organizations in general be more involved in, be more involved in the community? Oh, mm. uh, I'd say finding platforms like yours is a good plus. Um, I think that's a good start. Uh, if you can find networks and areas where people are talking about entrepreneurship, people are talking about what they're going through. Um, consistently, you know, sitting down with entrepreneurs who, you know, maybe at stage one, maybe at stage like 500, you know, and just having conversations, I promise you, there, there's so many things you can correlate on. Um, there's, there's very successful entrepreneurs that I've talked to who still struggle with day-to-day -day things that I'm struggling with, you know, and there's people at stage one who figured out things that I'm still struggling with, you know, so I think finding communities like Workbench is super important. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't want to turn this into a capitalism versus socialism. Um, <laughs> but do you think organizations should be more involved in tackling really big problems such as homelessness in LA? Um, why, why, do you, why do you think they're not doing this right now? Why, why, don't, why do you think people don't care? Yeah, I think, I think it goes back to like, the previous correlation that I made between being an entrepreneur and being a businessman, you know, like a businessman's number one, you know, feedback or what they, what's considered success to them is their ROI, their return on investment. You know, if they can make $2 for every dollar that they're putting into the company, they're successful, you know, 
But for a for an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter how much money you're making if the problem that you tried to solve originally isn't being solved. You know, um, there's I mean the greatest entrepreneurs I've met ended up turning into nonprofit companies. You know, because the goal of an entrepreneur is really to solve a problem. And I think correlating back to your question, I don't think there's enough entrepreneurs in the United States. You know, like, I don't think there's enough people who are seeing entrepreneurship for what it really is supposed to be versus what, you know, the media has made it to be. I, I know you've seen this before when people talk about, oh, if you want to be rich, become an entrepreneur, or, you know, if you want to become a self-made millionaire, you've got to become an entrepreneur, and that's really not it, you know? So, I, I mean, I... I know you're super passionate about homelessness. You know I'm super passionate about homelessness. You know, but entrepreneurs are going to be the ones who make the change there, not not business people. Right, right. So it's like entrepreneurship is something that comes from the heart and your will and your ambition mm -hmm. versus business. This is being a businessman in general. It's kind of a subset of that in that you're only worried about the money, your ROI. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's so interesting. Huh. What 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 is something that you would um, give give back to? Like, if you had, let's say, 10, 20, 10 to twenty million dollars tomorrow, right? What would you be giving back to? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that I care about personally is like financial education and like the minority space. Um, like the company that I've built is focused on financial education for the low to middle income class, you know, because the kid from the Bronx that doesn't know anything about what a credit score is, isn't going to be as successful as the rich kid from downtown LA that, you know, had his credit score built for him. So I think democratizing, you know, that education and that, you know, this what people know in this space is super important for me. I think it's all, so many different problems. It goes into homelessness. It goes into our education crisis. It goes into our financial crisis. It goes into the student financial crisis, you know? So if I had 10 to 20 million, I would throw it into creating educational programs and creating a platform to help people learn finance at a young age. Very interesting. On that note, where do you feel that you fall on that spectrum? Like what made you create Hash Credit? Yeah. So it's, it's honestly a personal tie. Uh, when I came into college, uh, I came from a low-income family of nine, um, seven kids in the household um, with my two parents. Uh, and I was the first one in my family to actually go to a big university like USC, you know. And we knew nothing about what we were doing, you know. You know, like, you're getting the letters, and you're like, okay, try to figure this out, fall and all that. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like, what is this fast thing that's going around? I don't know what it is. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's just like signing everything the school gives you. Don't know yeah. what you're really signing, but right. yeah, I, we, were, we were in that space. And, you know, about a month before, you know, I'm about to go to USC, they tell me I'm $10,000 short on my tuition, you know, and my scholarships and everything didn't cover all of it. And we had already maxed out the amount of loans we could get from the government. And I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> and our family had no clue. Like, we had no idea what to do. Um, so I was in the situation where I was like, all right, I need to get a loan, obviously, to pay off for the last, you know, $10,000 on my tuition. 
and I don't know how to do that. You know, so I ended up talking to like six different financial institutions trying to get a loan and they all denied me because A, my parents' fi family finances were not the best and B, you know, I had no credit. So I fell into the issue of being what is considered underbanked and so many other students fall into the same problem, you know, without even realizing it. So that, that really sparked my passion. Because, you know, thankfully I was able to get into USC, but I fell into this problem where I needed a credit score ASAP, and there was no way to do that immediately. So that's why I built Hatch Credit, because it solves that problem directly. So it's like, so you have, there's really two phases to being an entrepreneur then, right? It's, it's actually experiencing that problem, and then mm -hmm. the other phase is witnessing that problem, and then tackling that problem and creating the solution, right? Exactly. Which which do you think is better, or which do you think is more, I don't know, the right road? You know, I that's a good that's a good question. You know, I think it I think it goes both ways because if you you'll never understand what someone else has went through until you've actually done it. Like you could watch it all you want, you know, but until you actually have been through that experience, you're not going to be able to correlate. Um, so I think being able to connect to something that you've done yourself and something that you've struggled with, like me and my finances, is what drove me to build Hatch Credit. Um, but at the same time, there's amazing entrepreneurs out there that are solving problems that they never had. For example, uh, Jessica Jackley with Kiva. Uh, she created a microloan program so that entrepreneurs can receive investment uh, without having to go through the strands of venture capitalism, you know or get a loan for things that they need to push forward. Um, and she never had a problem with money, but she was able to create a platform that ended up sending out billions of dollars, you know, to young entrepreneurs in, you know, third world countries. So it's, it's it goes both ways, you know, yeah. it helps to connect to the story, but sometimes you don't have to connect to be able to make a change, you know. Hmm. That's interesting. What, what are your thoughts on venture capital? Like, how do you feel about someone just taking a whole portion of your company in exchange for capital? Yeah, VC's rough. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I've had my I've had my run around with VC, and I've been in the space for some time. I've helped about fifty companies so far uh, receive investments from VC, um, and it's it's. <sighs> It's a weird it's, it's a rough. Weird it's rough. <laughs> yeah, because you have you have these big VCs, right? You have you have companies like Sequoia Capital and Kleiner Perkins and you know, backstage yeah. even, um, oh. who are taking a ton of money, throwing it into your company and just taking a big chunk out and expecting, you know, the ROI. They're businessmen, you know, our businesswomen. Um, but then at the same time you have this new era of VC that has emerged where people are really focused on social causes and social justice and nonprofits even, you know, where they're throwing money at causes, taking a chunk of the company, but they're going to help you push to solve a problem, you know. So there, there's a good side of VC. There's a, good, there's a bad side to VC. Um, not saying Sequoia Capital is bad, you know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I helped out Sequoia Capital a lot. Uh, but, you know, being able to distinguish between the two is super important. And knowing what do you need for your company and what do you need to progress is super important. So, I mean, let me ask let me ask you a question off of that. Um, are venture capital partners are they entrepreneurs or are they businessmen? 
That's a good question. <laughs> um, I think I think you're gonna find some that are pure businessmen. You know, like yeah. Sequoia Capital, they can be entrepreneurial. You know, they are investing in some social causes, but for the most part, you know, they invested in Google because they saw their ROI on it. You know, they invested right. in you know they invested in Bird because they saw the ROI. You know, this wasn't this wasn't a social venture at all. But, you know, if you can manage, I think this is where you have to be able to, where you said, when you said, you know, being a businessman is a subset of being an entrepreneur, I think you need to be able to use the skill sets that a businessman has to execute on your own social venture. Um, so being able to go to Sequoia and be like, hey, I can make your ROI, but this is really a social venture, and, you know, and still get that check, I think is a skill set that you have to have as an entrepreneur to be able to, you know, live in both worlds at the same time. Right. That's so interesting. This is actually more of a question for me, actually. Um, I really, really focus on keeping my workbench team happy. Like, that just supersedes everything else. I want my team to be happy. I want them never to be sad. Mm. I never want them to be, feel unvalued and, you know, subpar or anything, right? How are you doing mm -hmm. this in your company, in Hatch Credit? Yeah. Or, I mean, or what is what what do you prioritize in your culture? That's a, that's a good question. I think <laughs> just looking at our culture right now, I think we've really became a family, you know? Awesome. And yeah. that's one thing that I, like, every time we have, like, a team meeting, like, we call each other family, you know? Uh -huh. And it's a it's a really minor thing, you know, like it doesn't, you know, people probably subconsciously hear it, but it's not really like actually affecting them. But like, I guess prioritizing the happiness and the value that you put on your team is so important to, you know, building an actual company, especially the first people who committed, you know, to joining your company. You know, like for this summer, uh, our whole team is moving up to the Bay um, and we got this Airbnb and we're, you know, going to run Hacker House style for three months. And they all reneged their internships at Google, Apple. Um, I dropped my internship at Bloomberg, you know, to work on Hatch Credit. And, you know, you wouldn't have gotten that commitment from someone who wasn't passionate about what they're doing, you know. So I think keeping people happy and really creating a culture, like what you're touching on is super important. And I think what you're doing at Workbench is obviously, you know, probably cooler than what we're doing at Hatch in terms shut of keeping up. people happy. Shut no, shut truly, up. truly. <laughs> <laughs> like, you should probably talk about, like, I guess the culture that you built at Workbench because, I mean, I haven't gotten to meet the full team, but I know, like, you guys are super passionate about what you're doing. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think we're the same way. Um, your your culture is probably similar to mine. We really focus on just making sure that everyone's happy. Like if I see mm -hmm. someone on my board or anyone within the organization itself that's really just upset, I'm going to sit down with them. I'm going to talk to them. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I will take time out of my day to make sure that they're straight and they're just having a good time. Right. Yeah. That's all it's worth at the end of the day is like, if you're not happy, you know, why are you doing it? Exactly. 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 So, yeah, I mean, we're hoping that maybe one day we can bring workbench to more colleges, you know? 
I think a lot of colleges need this type of thing. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think, like we touched on earlier, like having something like this, you know, even though the conversation, you know, goes across multiple different avenues, you know, entrepreneurs are going to be able to connect to at least, you know, like one or two things that really hits home for them, you know, that they bring to their company. So I really value stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your future. Like, what's something that you really want to do in your life, um, no matter what? And what's, how do you, what do you see in the future for Hash Credit? Yeah, yeah. I, honestly, I have personal goals, and then I have company goals. Um, personal goal, I want to become an impact investor. So I want to invest in social causes and social ventures um, that help push the world forward and in, into a better place. Um, that's something I'm going to do regardless of, you know, how the world plays out. I know COVID is kind of putting a damper on everyone, but, you yeah. know, when the world gets back to order, that's what I want to get into. Uh, yeah. On the second half of things, uh, for the company, um, the company's in a really good place right now. Uh, despite COVID, you know, we're we're pushing strong, we're pushing forward. Um, hopefully there's some light on the world soon. Uh, but we are, we're looking to, to be open to the world soon. Like right now we're in the live beta. Um, anyone can come sign up at Hatch.Credit. Um, but I think when when the time is right, I know a lot of us, we're, we're in stealth mode right now, so a lot is happening incognito that you'll hear about soon. But um, when we're ready to come out to the world, we're going to come out pretty strong. And I think yeah. it's... Hell yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah, everyone, everyone will hear about it soon, and it's going to be, it's going to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I just want you to say the number of your uh, wait list right now. Yeah, right now we're at, we actually, from the last time we talked, we grew. We're at seventeen thousand. How um, many? How many numbers is that? That's that's five places. That's seventeen thousand. Yeah. That's three zeros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, five figures. Five figures. So, that's yeah. amazing. And how Definitely. how spread out is that across the country? Is it just LA or is it all around? Yeah, we we're finally at fourteen universities. Um, Holy 14, God! 000. Yeah, we had someone sign up today from uh, uh, South Carolina that we That's you know crazy. we never expected the other USC. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's crazy! Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you, truly. And that's zero marketing. Yeah, we have we put no dollars into marketing. Holy so that is, shit! Oh my people God. hearing about us. I don't know how. You know, like like I said, yeah. we're stealth mode. I promise we're stealth mode. But um, things are things are looking very promising. I think people see the value in what we're building, especially since everything's free. You know, like, right. like why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's what are your projections once you get out of stealth mode? What is that seventy yeah. thousand going to become? So we are looking to launch with 100,000 students before the end of the year. I, ideally, the month is November, and we want to be at 100,000. Um, and, I mean, if we can push it, our next goal is going to be a million after that. You know? Amazing. So wow. our team is, you know, I never would have been able to say these numbers with confidence <laughs> like three <laughs> months ago. But yeah. our, our team is our team is kicking it right now, and I couldn't be more happier with their performance. So right. I think we can do it. That, I'm so happy for you. This is great. You're going to be the one guy that made out of USC. 
with a passion <laughs> since freshman year that's absolutely going to turn the world into something that's 10 times better. Oh, thank you. That truly means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to say, Michael? Um, I mean, I do want to give one last shout out to, to you, man, and what you're working on. I mean, I know you highlighted me a lot in this conversation, but, you know, this isn't what we're doing has no impact if, if it wasn't for, you know, platforms like WorkSense that are really showing the social venture side of entrepreneurship, you know. I think I think you're really going to make an impact, <laughs> just like how we are, you know, in, in changing people's perspective and, you know, democratizing access to this information that, you know, normally people can't get. You know, I can't talk to everyone, you know. So everybody who plugs into WorkBench can see, like, you know, and have this conversation that we're having, see what we're talking about, you know. I hope you find more and more entrepreneurs, you know, who are excited about this just as much as I am. Exactly. I'm really, I'm, that just means a lot. Especially from you, that wow. You said seventeen thousand. Shit. <laughs> oh, definitely, man. All right, Michael. I just want to really thank you for coming on to this podcast. I know this is uh, I know this was going to be a TV show type of thing, but you know, COVID is really just messing everything up. <laughs> yeah, do what you got to do, right? Is there is there anything else you want to say for COVID for small businesses? Any advice? Um. Oh, uh, actually, some good advice is take advantage of the stimulus bill. Um, I know it has a lot of perks and downfalls, but any company, even a startup that has payroll, um, can get a loan that is forgiven by the by the government. So they'll pretty much pay for your uh, your workers' payroll for you know the next couple of months. Um, wow. So definitely, yeah, definitely take advantage of that. That's pretty much free money, and they'll forgive all the loans. Uh, that's amazing let me learn something about you actually um yeah. so my family we run a beverage center or like a beer store in upstate new york right and mm-hmm. as you know of a lockdown we are considered we are considered essential of all things <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> right how and bars and pubs have closed down restaurants have closed down they're doing takeout mm-hmm. but i'm not sure how many people are actually using that takeout but how, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on how beer stores, liquor stores, wine businesses can help out bars and pubs as a community? Because mm-hmm. we both value community, right? And we mm-hmm. want to see the community come together to get out of this whole COVID situation, right? How can beer stores, wine stores, liquor stores all come together and create this association where we just help out every pub and bar? Mm. Well, I don't know too much about the space, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I do know, yeah, a lot of a lot of companies are suffering um, in COVID, and you know, like I know you're in you're in New York, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, over here in LA, you know, literally opposite sides of the U.S., but um, a lot of local shops are shutting down, even around USC, you know, and I've been trying my best to eat locally. Uh, I'm gaining a couple pounds doing it, but like you know, I, I'm I'm trying to eat at all the local stores possible to to help them out. And I don't I know New York is in literally like mayhem right now. You know, it most is, cases yeah. with COVID, you know, they're saying like it can get as bad as what Wuhan was. You know, when they you know were at their quote unquote apex. So yeah. I I think 
it's it's a it's a challenge that honestly I don't know the answer to. I think it it, it goes back to what I talked about with Okinawa and Japan, um, mm-hmm. being a community. You know, like I don't know how that looks, but saying hey, I'm here to help you. You're here to help me. Let's you know, let's push through this. So even just having those conversations, you know, or knowing that someone is thinking about you, can make such a difference for a startup or a company or any small business. You know, so. I I hope, you know, people start working together. People don't, you know, become selfish, you know, and try to, you know, hermit themselves through this crisis. I think communication is key. Um, and I hope they're all communicating correctly, especially in New York. So Yeah, definitely. I just hope everyone just stays inside. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good start, especially in yeah. New York. I heard, I heard a lot of people are going to Florida to, like, evacuate New York. I had no idea. Yeah, apparently a lot of flights between New York and Florida are happening where a lot of the, you know, upstate people in New York are moving to Florida. Apparently they're bringing the virus with them to Florida. So now okay. Miami is also becoming the hot center. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I just want to say once again, just thank you so much for your insight. Um this was a great conversation. I'm really glad we had it. And I just hope everyone can look more for, look forward to more people like Michael on a podcast series for our virtual launch of Workbench for the semester. Yeah. So that's the end of the podcast.